Mullins over the middle. Kendrick Bourne. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. That clip is brought to you guys courtesy of the NFL. My name is Zach Hernandez. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. You can follow the podcast at RGS Pod. As always, enjoyed by my co-host, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how you doing? What's going on, Zach? What's going on, Faithful? It is your boy, Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. As always, guys, follow me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. And we have a great interview to get to uh, get to you guys today on this podcast here. Zach, why don't you let them know what's going on? Yes, that's right. Uh, today, I had the pleasure of being joined by none other than Sports Illustrated's Grant Cohn. Uh, I know he's a bit of a controversial figure, guys. I know he gets a lot of hate on Twitter. Uh, I just ask you to listen to the interview with open ears and be open-minded about it. Uh, Take what he's saying for the content rather than who is saying it. And uh, be sure to let us know what you think of the interview. Uh, Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Grant Cohn interview. I'm joined by Grant Cohn of Sports Illustrated. Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing good, man. Trying to get through the day. Today's day. Yeah. 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 Hanging in there. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump in there. We're going to touch on some things 49ers related, obviously. Um, you recently wrote a piece on uh, Sports Illustrated about how the 49ers decided not to trade Nick mm. Mullins. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that they could really envision moving out of moving off of Jimmy Garoppolo within the next year or so? I think it could happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but I think like if, if Jimmy Garoppolo wins the Super had he won the Super Bowl a few months ago, uh, they would have extended his contract most likely, and it never would have happened. If he wins the Super Bowl next year, they'll extend his contract and probably trade Nick Mullins. But if he doesn't win the Super Bowl in the next couple of years, maybe one or two, and doesn't improve the way Matt Ryan improved with time in this offense, and kind of like this is his ceiling, and he continues to sort of make the same mistakes, which aren't that often. But if 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 he doesn't improve and he doesn't win the Super Bowl, maybe they take a step back. I wouldn't be surprised because his contract is expensive. And what I always come back to is the Niners had an opportunity to extend it and make him more affordable, like lower the 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 cap numbers now, um, backload it, and and give themselves a little leeway now. And they don't want to do that. They want to keep their options open. And it seems pretty clear that. They like Jimmy, but he's almost like a rookie. He only has 26 starts or something like that. So it's they still need to see more. Um, I think most people, most fans expect that he's going to improve, but that's not a given. So in a couple of years when he's 29-30 with, with a year left on his contract and, and Nick Mullins is a free agent, who knows what the options will be on the free agent market. Maybe the Niners would look to go for a cheaper option at quarterback, especially if there's still a dominant run first team a team that's, you know, happy to throw the ball eight times in a game. I mean, you don't need to spend that much money on a quarterback if that's your offensive philosophy. Yeah, you know, th- um, that's totally true. I mean, if they're not dropping back 30, 40 times a game, why spend the giant amount that they spent on Jimmy Garoppolo? Uh, my question is, Nick Mullins, he really did flash when he came in, you know, a, a couple of years ago for, you know, first for C.J. Beathard because he was injured and then obviously because Jimmy Garoppolo was injured. But do you think that that was enough to prove that he's the guy to kind of make that giant move away from Jimmy Garoppolo? Probably not, but it seems like a lot of people believe in him. I mean, a couple of teams tried to trade for him. Des Bryant went on Twitter and said he's the truth. I mean, I don't know. It's just he was he was really young when he did that. You know, he was about 23. He's had more time. He's been in the system a long time. Um, and I think what you're what you're looking for at with him is he's not he's not expensive. You know, you have him under, under team control for 750,000 this year, maybe three or 4,000 next year. Um, You can sort of wait and see. And I think like the, the template would be Teddy Bridgewater. Now he was a first round pick and he got to play when he was young in Minnesota and won some games, but he didn't put up huge numbers, but he, he sat behind Drew Brees. He learned in one of the premier offenses. And then when he got to play last year behind on a loaded team, he won and played well. And now he's a starter. I think the Niners feel like, well, you know, if Jimmy were to miss two, three, four games for any reason, hurts his thumb, whatever, 
Mullins could come in and do something like that. He didn't do it in 2018, but that was a different team. He was basically a rookie. If he came in this year and played at 25 I mean, and, and goes 5-0 and with like a 95, 96 quarterback rating, now you could trade him for a first-round pick if you wanted to. Now he's a legit starter. So I think the Niners feel like there might be that kind of uh, Teddy Bridgewater up, upside. Yeah, you know, I could definitely see that. There, he flashed really, really, you know, brightly, I guess, so to speak. And he played – it was like that offense was stagnant, not moving at all. Mullins was inserted, and it they took off. They played really well. Um, mm-hmm. I'll never forget that Thursday night game against the Raiders where he just made a name for himself. Uh, people were tweeting about him. I think he was even trending at one point. Um, now, speaking of guys who kind of flashed and then nothing has really happened since, Dante Pettis. Um, mm-hmm. I saw you tweet the other day that – Nick Mullins made Dante Pettis better. Do you think that his style just doesn't mesh well with Jimmy Garoppolo? It could be. It seems to me that they've never really been on the same page. Even when you go back to like uh, the first three games of 2018, I know Jimmy hit Dante Pettis for that touchdown in Minnesota on like the scramble drill. That was really nice. But then the next week against Detroit, Jimmy got sacked six times. And a, a few of those sacks were Jimmy like, staring down Dante, who was the number one option on that play, and either feeling Dante wasn't open or reluctant to throw it to him for whatever reason. Um, I've often felt that Dante isn't as bad as he seems when Jimmy's the quarterback. I have no idea why they don't connect. Um, Maybe you just need a, a certain level of trust with Dante because his movements are sort of unorthodox. He's really good on double moves and getting down the field. Jimmy's not much of a down-the-field thrower. He'd rather throw a slant to someone who he knows is going to catch the ball, like Trent Taylor or Kendrick Bourne. For whatever reason, Mullins comes in and really trusts Dante Pettis, uh, throws it to him a lot, and Dante Pettis thrives. So, you know, they talk about can a quarterback make guys better. Um, I think Jimmy made Trent Taylor better. He makes certain players better, but for whatever reason, Mullins made Pettis better. And that's one reason for maybe teams around the league to think, well, I could get Pettis for like a seventh round pick. You know, maybe it's more of a Jimmy and Pettis thing than a Pettis thing. And he would actually play better on my team. The thing with Pettis is he's just, if your ball placement's a little off, he's not going to fight for it. He'll watch it get intercepted. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has no patience for that. Uh, You know, for good reason. Yeah. And not only that, but he kind of, we've seen this past year where he kind of trusts his arm a little too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, He kind of thinks he could fit throws into windows that just aren't there or they're, they're a lot tighter than he thinks. And I don't think Pettis has shown that he's capable of going out there and being able to be trusted to get those type of balls. Um, You saw that pass, that wild pass against Minnesota in the playoffs that Kendrick Bourne went and got, I don't see Pettis doing that type of of catch. Um, Now, speaking of the quarterbacks, you know, the 49ers rolled with three quarterbacks last year. Why would they do that? Most teams seem to only keep two. Yeah. Well, they drafted Nick, Nick Mullins was not supposed to be part of the plans. He forced his way into the picture. CJ Beathard was supposed to be the number two. Um, and they drafted him in the third round. So I think there's a couple of things going on. One Shanahan doesn't like admit admitting mistakes. Who does, who does, but he doesn't. I mean, the one mistake he's really admitted is Joe Williams, but Joe Williams didn't want to play football. You couldn't force him on the team. So I think he, I don't know if he admitted the mistake or he, he had to, I mean, Joe Williams forced his hand on that one here uh, cutting him after three years when you don't really have to would just be like bringing criticism on yourself. I think what the Niners are probably going to do is just let him stay on the team for one more year and then uh, let his contract expire. And then you say, well, why would they just gift him a, you know, a a roster spot? That's valuable. Um, It could go to another position. Well, I think part of what's going on here is maybe Beathard, had maybe he flashed a little bit too i mean if you think back to 2017 he played pretty well in washington um for a rookie who came in on a terrible team like he had moments uh and then he got like the crap beat out of him he got hit so hard and he he brought a lot of it onto himself but that was just a really bad team and you know hoyer kind of never really recovered from it either i feel like both of those guys have sort of been seeing ghosts ever since um, and that happens to anyone. I guess it, it really speaks to the, the upside of Jimmy Garoppolo that he could protect himself that season. So I think the Niners sort of feel guilty about a little bit about CJ Beathard that they like put him in a bad situation, maybe broke him a little bit. And uh, as a courtesy for a good guy who likes playing football, they'll keep him around one more year. 
Now you mentioned that they they obviously uh, traded him in the third round, I believe. Do yes. you think that the, yeah they traded? That's right. Do you think the politics of the matter comes into play here? That that kind of he has more of a uh, seniority, I guess, type of role, or they, they kind of value him a little more over a guy like Nick Mullins simply because they wasted a third no, round. I don't want to no. should they, say wasted. They don't value CJ over Nick Mullins. No way. They know they know what they have there. They know that that Nick Mullins is a premier backup at 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 the at the least. And that CJ, um, and I think they probably feel semi-responsible for for CJ tanking the way he has. Um, I, I think they know exactly what CJ ha- is and has. I just think a lot of it is not, uh, Shanahan's ego, which is not a. I mean, every coach has an ego, but when you pick the guys yourself, you're going to try to make it work, you know. And you always feel like, you know, if anyone can can salvage this, it's me because I'm designing the plays and calling them and. Maybe if C.J. Beathard gets back in there on a better team, I, I could get uh, make him look better and trade him. I think that's usually how a coach would think. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And I saw, I think on draft day, you tweeted out a list of guys that Shanahan and Lynch had traded up for. Oh, yeah. And that was and just offense. There's more guys like Mitch Wichnowski yeah, and Ruben exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't a great list. Let's just put it at that. So let's hope uh, Brandon Ayu kind of breaks the mold there. But – um. You know, speaking on the topic of quarterbacks, there's obviously the giant elephant in the room that the 49ers discussed at the very least acquiring Tom Brady. Yes. They're a young ascending team, just made the Super Bowl. Um, Why would a team like that even even discuss acquiring a guy like Tom Brady, regardless of how good he ever was or currently is, if he's about to take a pretty steep decline? Well, um, the Niners lost by 11 in the Super Bowl. And I think what you're, what you're saying, like, how do you get better? Like, what's the, you're up against the salary cap. Uh, is there a way to get better here? And, you know, the first thing you look at is, well, we're paying $27 million for a quarterback who didn't throw much in the, in the playoffs. You know, um, maybe he'll improve uh, down the line, but we're ready right now. And Tom Brady is considered the greatest quarterback of his generation, at least. Maybe he's declining, or, or maybe he was just on a terrible offense last year. We don't, we'll find out in a few months. So that's the, the thought process. I mean, if you can get Tom Brady and add him to that defense and that run game with George Kittle and Debo Samuel, are you instantly the Super Bowl favorite? I think so. Unless, unless you're right, and he is really falling apart. I mean, a lot of people feel he is. What I saw last year in New England was an offense with him and Julian Edelman. I mean, Trent Brown was gone. The offensive line was bad, which hurt the run game. There was no, there were no receivers outside. There was no tight end. So Brady isn't the kind of quarterback like Mahomes who can, or or Russell Wilson, who can buy time and sort of help people get open. He needs people to get open fast. And he didn't have that, you know, now, now on the Niners, he would have, he absolutely would have. And in Tampa, he will. So, I mean, that's why I think the Niners considered it. I mean, they, they admitted they considered it, but ultimately they decided they didn't want him. Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely did admit that. And I'll ask you about that in a bit, but you know, the fact that, like you said, the offense in New England last year was stagnant. Um, they yeah. weren't really moving the ball. They were super dependent on their defense. Mm. And it would have been very interesting to see had they made the switch. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying that Tom Brady's bad right now, but you got to admit that drop has to be coming. I mean, he's been battling Father Time for seems like the last five, six years. And Father Time's undefeated. He's not going to lose that battle. So it's just a matter of when, I guess, was my point. Yeah. Um, now, you, you spoke about John Lynch admitting uh, that they did discuss acquiring Tom Brady. Um, they, they, he, I think he said on the Rich Eisen show, and then they ended up deciding to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously. Right. What right. message does it send to the team that they are acknowledging the fact that they discussed it but still went with Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, I mean, they've sent that message to the team, to the fans, to the nation in, in any number of ways, uh, dis- talking to Tom Brady and not extending Jimmy Garoppolo's contract. Everything, every message they're saying is Jimmy has more to prove. We like him, but he has more to prove. He needs to, he needs to improve. Uh, and yeah, he needs to improve. And, and he's on the clock. We'll have him for this year, but we'll reassess after every offseason because that's the way his contract is structured. And if they're gonna keep being a run first team, ask very little of him, then maybe at some point they'll feel like they could make a transition to Nick Mullins, save what $20 million and then get a guy like DeForest Buckner. I mean, you're already having to cut get rid of players. You don't want to because of Jimmy. So Jimmy's going to really have to justify that. 
he has to take a leap and show that he can carry this team and that they don't necessarily carry him. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I could see that. And the DeForest Buckner aspect is huge because, you know, John Lynch said himself, DeForest is exactly the type of person that embodies what it means to be a 49er. And it seemed like it really kind of pulled at their heartstrings, the fact that they had to get rid of a player like DeForest. So go ahead. Well, think about it this way. I mean, DeForest Buckner is a better football player than Jimmy Garoppolo right now. Jimmy plays a more important position. He he might be more valuable to the team, uh, to a team, maybe. But Buckner's better. And so they had to get rid of a better player who's cheaper than, than Jimmy because Jimmy is so expensive. And that's the, you know, the price of doing business at quarterback. But eventually, he has to justify it, especially with the way the league is evolving. I mean, compared to 10 years ago, it's so much easier to find – good quarterback play for cheap. And if you can do it, if you can get a, like a, a quarterback who's pretty good, who's making five, four, three million a year or less, that's a huge advantage. I mean, that's what the Cardinals have. That's what the Chiefs have, you know, uh, and it's what the Niners might want if they're not going to be a pass first team. Yeah, it seems like most of the teams that kind of win the Super Bowl or at least make it to the Super Bowl, uh, regardless of the Tom Brady's or, you know, those type of teams that are kind of continuously in it, they're led by a rookie at quarterback who's able yeah. to ascend the team and they're able to spend money elsewhere, just like you said. That's right. So that that's that's a very important factor to, you know, to consider in all this. But do you think that the fact that they publicly acknowledged that they were going that they discussed acquiring Tom Brady shows that their faith in Jimmy is in question? Or do you think that kind of has been the status quo, so to speak? Well, I mean, the way I read it is why did they say no to Tom Brady? Let's let's that's the question. Why they say no? They were interested. He wanted to sign. I think it's possible that they said he's just too old or it's possible they said he's just too expensive. Because, you know, they cut Jimmy, they takes a $4.2 million dead cap hit. So you save 22. And then Brady is getting $25 million per in Florida, which is a tax-free state. So in California, just to match that contract, they'd have to give him 13.3% more, which comes out to more than $28 million a season on top of the $4.2 million dead cap hit they're taking from Jimmy. So really, I mean, Brady would have cost them $30 million a year. Uh, it's possible the Niners felt that, you know, we like Brady, um, but that's really that's really expensive. So maybe it came down to $5 million, $6 million. I think it, it may have came down to $6 million. That's, that's how the Niners made their decision. So that'll be something to monitor next season. I think the Bucks are going to be really good. And they're banking that he's going to have two years left. It's possible he has no years left. They think he has two. And the way that the NFL is evolving, it seems like quarterbacks can go into their 40s now. I mean, Drew Brees hasn't really slowed down. Uh, we'll see about Rodgers and, and Roethlisberger, but yeah, I mean, I think that was the, the calculation. That makes sense. And, you know, like you said, they, it's definitely a more quarterback friendly league than it was 10, 15 years ago. And quarterbacks are definitely banking on playing longer into their careers, prolonging, doing what they can. Um, let me ask you this. Do the 49ers win the Super Bowl if Tom Brady was there instead of Jimmy Garoppolo? I believe so. But I mean, <laughs> how do I know? I believe so. Yes, I believe so. Because, I think part it took an entire team effort to 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 blow a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Um Jimmy was part of that. I mean, Jimmy couldn't have been much worse than he was. Not to be harsh. Jimmy did a lot of good things that last season. And in that game, he was pretty on point in the first three quarters. And then it all fell apart. He was what three for eleven in the fourth quarter with a pick. Um missed wide open guys. A lot of it was on him. And I don't think I mean Brady may not have been great in the fourth quarter. I mean, maybe he's lost a little bit, but I don't think he would have crashed and burned like that. So yeah, I think most likely he would have won that game. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could see that it, it, most of it came down at the very end to that last Emmanuel Sanders overthrow. And part of me, I know, I know Tom Brady's deep ball isn't great right now, but part of me thinks that he would have made that, that connection. Yeah. And the other thing is if you look at that play, Kendrick Bourne's wide open over the middle. So, I mean, you got two options. Uh, you could move the chains, and even you could argue that the throw to Bourne was the correct throw because you hit that throw to Sanders, give the ball back to the Chiefs with about a minute plus left and some timeouts. Your defense hasn't stopped them in like three drives, so uh, or two. Um, I think Brady would have hit Bourne over the middle and and 
used up some clock and, and maybe won the game without giving the ball back to the defense. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And, you know, Kendrick Bourne, that he was wide open. So the fact that Jimmy, it almost seems like he has a bit of trouble reading the field, reading his routes, going through his progressions. And that that came to show, you know, came to show, uh, excuse me, that was shown at yeah. the most pivotal time for the 49ers, unfortunately. And it was just like Kyle Shanahan couldn't mask his weaknesses, his, his deficiencies any longer. Mm-hmm. You know, truth came up and it was unfortunate. And that was the end. Um, I'm joined by Grant Cohn of Sports Illustrated. Grant, thanks for joining us. Um, I have a couple of speed questions left. Sure. Feel free to answer yes, no, however much context you want to add. Okay. Uh, 49ers win more or less games, or excuse me, win more games than last season. Uh, no. Um, not because I think they're, they, they've taken a huge step back. They won 13 games last year. A lot of things broke their way. They missed some really good quarterbacks. Uh, they were coming off a bad season, so they had a, an easier schedule. This year they're going to have a tougher schedule. I think that the divisions got harder. Um, I think 11 wins would be a good season for them. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, a lot of things came into play. They started off what eight and zero, I think, and yes, yeah. So I don't. Mason Rudolph, Kyle Allen. I mean, they they caught some breaks. <laughs> I think it'll be tougher next year. Yeah, that, you know, definitely. Um, was passing on Jerry Judy and CD Lamb the right choice? Yes, but I think yes, I would have passed on them. I would have traded down. I would have traded down again. Uh, I want to say that I think taking Judy or Lamb would have been better than taking Kinlaw. Um, because Kinlaw does have this knee thing. Uh, he's had a, a hip thing. He plays a position the Niners have drafted in the first round like a million times. Um, I think I probably would have, on my draft board, had those two receivers over Kinlaw. Okay, I could see that, yeah. It seems like they can't stay out of the defensive line punch in the first round. Um, will Brandon Ayuk be the wide receiver one for the 49ers moving forward? Not right away. I don't believe so. I think that uh, the scheme is too complex. Like we saw Debo last year. He really came into his own the second half of the season, but the first half he dropped a lot of passes. He made some mistakes. It was bumpy at first. Not that he wasn't good. It's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, mental work you have to do. And I think that could hold him back at first. I think Debo is probably like in terms of targets next year, it'll be Kittle Debo and then Ayuk number three, but that, I mean, the, the, I would think that by year two, Ayuk would be the number one receiver because that's not really Debo's skill set. Debo can do a little bit of everything, but he doesn't have long arms. He doesn't play big at the catch point, as coaches say. He's just a little bit like a gadget guy like Percy Harvin. Ayuk has those really long arms. You can trust him on um, balls that sail over the middle, that he'll go get it. That's a number one receiver. I think he'll grow into it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Debo's totally fit the – the mold or you know whatever the 49ers have asked of him it seems like he's done it and even a little more so i'm super excited to see i mean he's the first uh receiver they drafted in the first round since michael crabtree if i if i remember correctly yes yeah so hopefully you know it shows and it proves that they were right in their evaluation of him um is kyle shanahan a top two offensive minded head coach in the nfl (sighs) That's a broad. That's a broad definition. Offensive minded. I, I'll break it up into categories because I want to give him his due. He is definitely top two at designing run plays. I mean, him and Greg Roman are geniuses. And if you want to have a run first offense, you have to watch the Niners and the Ravens every week. I mean, they're different styles, so that you would go with one or the other. But if you have like a pocket quarterback and you want to be a run first offense, you watch the Niners. You that you you steal from Kyle Shanahan weekly. Also, play action. If you want play action, Shanahan's the best because what he does is he makes his play action passes look just like the runs. They call him marrying, like marrying the plays, and no one does it better than him. McVay does it well too. He's, you know, he's a three wide receiver offense. Shanahan has more variation. Um, when it comes to just straight drop back passes, no, no. I, w- I mean, that's that's more that's the Mike, that's him and Mike Lafleur, and that's uh, where you see. My, I would say no because the great dropback passing coaches from Bill Walsh to Sean Payton to Andy Reid, you always see triangles. You see three guys coming open in a in progression, one, two, three. You know, so like the quarterback can naturally, if he's not open, go to the next guy. Now he's breaking open. Now you go to the next guy. Now he's breaking open. It all times up. It's all about timing. And what I see with Shanahan is when it's finally get to dropback passing time, he's designing plays for one specific guy to get open against a particular coverage that he's anticipating. If it's quarters, I want this guy to get open for this reason. There isn't really. So when, 
when you say like Jimmy, oh, like he didn't see this guy open because he was fixated on this guy. Well, maybe this guy broke open before the primary read. You know, maybe so it's those kind of timing issues that make me feel like he's not really on the level of Bill Walsh or Peyton or Andy Reid and that thing. So that's that's one limitation of Shanahan. The other is just decision making. You know, not all of of being an offensive coach is drawing up the plays. It's when to call them, when to run, when to pass, when to call your timeouts, when to do the two minute drill, when to take your foot off the gas. And we've seen in two Super Bowls that uh, in highly pressurized moments, his decision making is can be very questionable. Now, Andy Reid was like that for a long time finally got over the hump, like in his sixties and maybe Shannon, he's, he's young, he's 40, 41. So th- those would be my two things. I would say probably not top two. I would put, he's in the top tier, but I would put it like Sean Payton and Andy Reid at the top. Just from so much experience. I don't think they have, like Sean Payton's main weakness is his arrogance, like overusing Taysom Hill. Like sometimes like, dude, what are you doing? But he's great. He's really good. Um, and I would say Shanahan is right beneath him maybe even beneath Bruce Arians too, just because those guys have so much experience and wisdom that Shanahan will eventually get, hopefully. Yeah, it's very, very, you know, top heavy when you get to the actual cream of the crop. I mean, Sean Payton, yes. uh, Andy Reid, guys like that. It's it's yes. hard to say Kyle Shanahan has proved already that he's above those guys. Um, but he's I in the conversation. Know. He's got to be, yeah. He's got to yeah, be no in the conversation, yep. especially in the run game. Like you said, he's top run game. And let's compare him to a guy who won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, Doug Peterson. Right, like Doug Peterson, I would say is a better in-game decision maker than Shanahan. D- Doug Peterson made some clutch calls in that Super Bowl to win, going for it, uh, going for two, all the times he goes for it on fourth down. He's very aggressive. I like that. But in terms of his scheme, I mean, it's kind of it's a gimmick RPO scheme that was cutting edge in twenty what seventeen, but now is like old school. I mean, everyone's figured it out. It's not really helping anyone. It's not helping Carson Wentz. It really suits uh, a guy like Nick Foles better, a guy who just throws little slants and gets the ball out of his hand. Uh, Shanahan's offense is much more creative and uh, cutting edge than Peterson's. But Peterson is a former quarterback who has all this experience and really has a good feel for managing a game. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty good breakdown of it because when I was thinking of this question, I thought of Doug Peterson, and I kind of thought he kind of seemed to have – I don't want to say fall off, but he hasn't really been at the top of the. He has fallen off because the whole RPO scheme has fallen off. And here's why. I mean, before they thought they were, they were being tricky. And if, if a defense is playing zone, then you can get these conflicted defenders and get these 10 yard passes over the middle, like breathing. But what people figured out is, okay, like I'll play zone and you'll throw the ball, but you'll never run the ball because your read and the RPO dictates you throw. So now you have a, a one dimensional offense. And that's been the Eagles problem for two years. They have no running game. Same with the Bears. They have no running game. And the, the, the Chiefs were going that, down that direction as well. And one of the things that really turned their season around last year was ditching the RPO and running when they wanted to running and passing when they wanted to pass and not letting the defense dictate that. So I, I think really it was a gimmick, kind of like the Wildcat. Defenses have figured it out, and you got to move on. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And, yeah, I guess Peterson has fallen off. I mean – yep. The Eagles are nowhere near in contention. You can blame it on injuries. You can blame it on lack of depth, whatever it is. Nobody's talking about Doug Peterson right now. Um, now, my final question for you, Grant, it's a bit of a, a controversial question. You're obviously a bit of a, I don't know if you consider yourself a controversial figure in the media, but um, you seem to get a lot of hate on Twitter. And to be <laughs> honest with you, you do say some provocative things and you do say some things that I feel like you put out there to get traction and to get people talking. And I, I appreciate that. I really sure. do. I love people that. That's the job. That's the job. Yeah, I love people that are constantly pushing the narrative, constantly, or not narrative, pushing the, the, the topics, pushing, you know, things right up to the brink of what is deemed acceptable. Do you consider yourself a troll? Okay, that's a fair question. It's a great question. Let's agree on what a troll is. Like, a troll is Skip Bayless, right? Right. And, and the, the definition is someone who basically will say anything to rile people up. And they don't necessarily even believe it. You know, like on are you on that show, uh, first take or whatever. What's uh, I don't even know what it's called. The one he does with with Shannon Sharp. It feels like before oh, the show, he's like, "All right, Shannon, you say this, I'll say this. Which topic you want to take? This topic, I'll take. I'll take this stance." So we, they don't. You know what I mean? It's like there's no conviction. There's no homework done. They're just sort of saying things to get people to watch. Now, I want people to watch me, and I want to say uh, controversial things. But I think it's pretty clear when you when you listen to me or have a conversation with me that I really believe what I'm saying. 
Right. I would never mess around and say some stuff that I don't don't really feel conviction about. And also, I do my homework. I know the sport. I'm not talking about players like you know, like Stephen A. Smith talking about Hunter Henry who are hurt. Like I really, really take it seriously, and I'm passionate, and I feel like I do have integrity. So if you want to disagree with me, great. Like that's the whole point. But don't be like, oh, you're just saying that to get a reaction because you're a troll. Like, no, let's talk about it for a half an hour and I'll explain how I feel. And if you still, I don't expect to change your mind, but at least, you know, uh, grant that I really, I really mean it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I see that. And I do see you constantly kind of uh, when people say like, wow, this is a hot take or can you believe this guy actually believes it? I I do see you go out there and you say, well, where do you disagree with me? Yeah, let's talk um, about it. State your case of why yeah. I'm wrong instead of, and yeah. I do think that that's a problem in in not necessarily just sports media talk today, but just kind of in general. People are so quick to kind of write things off as wrong and correct in the no category rather than engaging in discourse, engaging in why you think it's wrong. And uh, I just wanted to say I appreciate the fact that you do do that. You do take the time to go out of your day or to go out of your way and and explain your case and explain why you think what you think, even if, no matter how contrarian so to speak it is or how different you know it is than other people so that that's nice to see because not a lot of people are like that i feel like most people use social media as a tool to find other people who feel the same way they do it's kind of like a herd mentality everyone wants to to know people that they agree with um i I think that's boring like i love going on twitter to say my perspective hear everyone else's uh arguments against it and then to adjust how i think I almost use it as crowdsourcing. Like, here's how I feel. And then people will make really good arguments. I'll take them in and I'll I'll learn from it. You know, I, I don't just do it to, to argue. So I feel like you can actually learn from Twitter. You know, you can learn from social media uh, if you're if you're a little open minded and open to being criticized and going out in the limb and not just going along with the herd. Yeah, well, you know, that's great. And I, I just want to say appreciate that. And I also appreciate you coming on to the show. Everybody, make sure you go follow Grant Cohen on Twitter. Uh, His handle is below on the screen. Make sure you check him out. uh, Newest writer of Sports Illustrated for the 49ers. And uh, I appreciate you coming on, Grant. Any final words? Uh, No, thanks for having me on. You're welcome to call me up anytime. All right. I appreciate it. Take care. You too. Man, that was one hell of an interview with Grant Cohen of Sports Illustrated. Make sure you guys go ahead and go follow him on Twitter. His handle is at Grant Cone. And um, also, I just wanted to take a quick break to say that this episode is brought to you by Shop49ersHype.com. Um, go ahead and make sure you go, guys go and check out. We have our Come At Me Bro t-shirt right now. Uh, make sure you go and check it out. And for all of our loyal subscribers and loyal um, followers, you guys can use code JS74, as in Joe Staley74 at checkout for 15% off. Uh, this is our first product. We're going to have a lot coming at you guys, so be sure to stay on the lookout. Um, go to 49ershype.com, click on the shop tab, and make sure you use code JS74 for 15% off your p- purchase. All right, Anthony, without further ado, let's get into this Grant Cone interview. Um, he said you know, a lot of things. We covered a lot of topics, but mainly I feel like the, the, the main meat and potatoes of this interview was how he felt about Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Mullins. Uh, what did you think about his view on that entire situation? I thought it was interesting to say the least that he really emphasized the whole salary cap situation and how Jimmy's ceiling might just be where it's at right now. And like he said, he said that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't make too many mistakes, but it's the mistakes he makes that could really cost the team. And it seems like Grant Cohen does believe in Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think unlike some people, he does have very good questions regarding him. And the thing is, too, is that they can bring back Mullins on a good, say, four or five, six year contract where probably for a lot cheaper than what Garoppolo is right now. Because let's face it, Garoppolo's kind of in a prove it year for the rest of his contract. This upcoming season, I think he's owed he's owed twenty six million with a nineteen million cap hit. Well, then the next season after, it's like $26 million and then a $1 million dead cap hit. So they could cut him and lose nothing after this season because there's two years left on his contract afterwards. So Garoppolo is kind of in a prove a year. And I think that if Shanahan, for whatever reason, really does like Mullins, even if Mullins' ceiling may not be as high as Garoppolo, but whatever Shanahan sees in Mullins, 
Mullins might just be the answer. And the thing is, is that if they can bring him back on, like I said, a four, five, six, or even just a three or four year deal for really cheap, where it can give the team a lot of salary cap flexibility if they do decide to, say, release Garoppolo in the next season or two, then I would not be surprised if they make that decision at all. Me, personally, um, <laughs> I don't, honestly, I, I don't like saying um, but I don't know if they would do that just because of how good Garoppolo is and can be. And yeah, it's been one season where he was really good. So I think that, you know, the sky is the limit for the kid. But like he said, we have to see if Garoppolo can take that next step like Matt Ryan did. And I think Matt Schaub was another guy too. And even Brian Hoyer, can these guys take the next step or excuse me, can Garoppolo take the next step into that tier of quarterback play? And I think that's kind of what ultimately decides Garoppolo's ability to stay on the roster for the next couple seasons. You know, what, what really intrigued me the most about what he was saying about that was the fact that he made the point that the 49ers had to already give away a really, really good player into Forrest Buckner in order to keep Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, he made, he, he made the case that DeForest Buckner is a better player at his position than Jimmy Garoppolo is at quarterback. It's just that the quarterback is a much more important position to the team. And that kind of really put it into perspective for me uh, because, you know, DeForest Buckner is a hell of a player. And just like John Lynch said, um, you know, he embodies what it is to be a 49er. And it seemed like it really hurt them to, to have to trade him. But having Garoppolo signed to such a massive contract prevented them from keeping DeForest Buckner. So if they did decide to move on him uh, for Nick Mullins for the cheaper, you know, younger more experienced guy, they would have been able to keep guys like Buckner. They'll be able to re-sign veterans. There are a lot of contracts coming up. Kittle's extension is due. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they play this. But I think the whole thing I kind of took out of it is it doesn't really seem like Grant Cohn is a big Jimmy Garoppolo fan. Uh, it seems like he probably would have preferred the 49ers to stick with Nick Mullins. And while I, I do agree Nick Mullins played really well when he came in, um, I don't think that he would be able to kind of take the team where Jimmy has already taken the team, you know, to the Super Bowl, played really well, played uh, in really clutch moments and came through for the team. And I'm not sure if Nick Mullins is the guy to do those types of things. So I, I got to say, I agree with the team here. That sticking with Jimmy was probably the right choice. And whatever happens in the future obviously remains to be seen. But I think that they're definitely going to give him a bit of a longer leash than most. Um, now, Anthony, he also seemed to think that uh, Dante Pettis was better with Nick Mullins and that he was kind of his go-to guy. Uh, seems like he doesn't really click with Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, I agree with that last part. They don't really seem to mesh well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I got to agree with that, too. And I don't know any examples off the top of my head. But we see instances where top wide receivers or even middle-tier wide receivers don't seem to connect with their starting quarterback. And say starting quarterback A leaves and starting quarterback B comes in, or the backup comes in, it seems like the backup performs better with that wide receiver than the first one did. It makes you really wonder how important chemistry is between quarterback and receiver, or if it's just the quarterback and the receiver might not be on the same page all the time, but the offensive play caller is the one making things happen. And that could have been the case when Pettis was healthy and obviously Garoppolo was healthy in his first season was that like the Vikings game, for example, that throw that Jimmy hit to, uh, Pettis against Minnesota, that was a dime. And then Pettis didn't play too bad up until Jimmy tore his ACL. And then he lit it up with Mullins. So you got to figure, is it chemistry? Is it the way Kyle Shanahan is using Pettis? Is it just the way Garoppolo is reading the field? There's all sorts of questions you can ask. But I think the whole big picture of it is chemistry. And yeah, I do think that I I do think that Jimmy and Pettis just don't necessarily click. It could be that Mullins just preferred Pettis because <laughs> his wide receiver options weren't that good, and I think Mullins realized that. Or if it was just Garoppolo thought the same thing and just didn't use him as often. I don't know. Lots of questions, Zach. But to close out this portion of the question, yeah, I, I do think that Pettis and Jimmy didn't click. And I think Pettis and Mullins clicked just because of, 
I, I guess situational. I, I would I completely guess it was situ- situational as to why Mullins and Pettis seem to click really easy. You know, when I kind of view these situations of uh, backup quarterback coming in and suddenly, you know, having a really good, really good rapport with one of the other random or not random, but other receivers than your typical go-to guy or the guy that you're kind of used to seeing produce at a high level. Uh, my kind of take on this is that they're likely playing together in the second team, you know, the second practice team, the second stringers. They have a rapport already. Uh, they're guys that maybe were together during training camp, whatever the case may be. They have some sort of relationship outside of this to where, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo say doesn't really have that experience with Dante Pettis, but maybe Nick Mullins does because they were both practicing, you know, with the second stringers or they're both kind of whatever the case may be. That's kind of my take on it. Now, I haven't done enough research to see if that's fact, if maybe they were practicing more so together than Jimmy Garoppolo was with Dante Pettis. But in my, my my experience, I feel like that's usually been the case, that when a backup quarterback comes in, one of the younger, more experienced wide receivers or tight ends starts to kind of shine because the backup is, you know, they trust that guy because they already have developed a rapport with them. So that could definitely be the case. Um, whatever the case is, though, I think that it's definitely concerning that, you know, you could obviously see that there was an improvement made at quarterback. Uh, say what you will about Jimmy Garoppolo, but I do think that he is an improvement at Nick Mullins right now, definitely. Um, and it, it's concerning to see that Dante Pettis regressed with somebody uh, more talented throwing him passes. So I guess, you know, hopefully that changes this season because Dante Pettis is a talented receiver and I'd love for him to have some success here with the 49ers. Now, the big topic we also touched on, Anthony, was Tom Brady. Um, and it it seemed to me what I got of the interview with with Grant Cohn was, you know, setting the financial aspect aside. It, it kind of seemed like he would have preferred the 49ers traded away Jimmy Garoppolo and signed Tom Brady. Uh, would you have done that? Nah, no, no, no. Look, I like, well, I don't like Brady, but he's a good quarterback. I wouldn't doubt he'd be a very good quarterback in the system. But you figure Brady's contract is, what, two years, $60 million, and I think 50 is guaranteed. So that's a lot of money for a quarterback turning 43 who's on the downside of his career versus a quarterback who salary-wise salary will make the same amount of money more or less in about two seasons, I think, left on his contract compared to Brady. The only difference is just the salary cap hit versus the dead cap hit, whereas like if the Bucks cut Brady, they would lose a lot of dead cap versus the Niners cutting Garoppolo, and they would save a lot of salary. So that's kind of the difference there. But no, Zach, I wouldn't do it at all. Look, I there seems to be a weird group of people who would have wanted to go after that, and I, don't, I know he's a Super Bowl winner, and I know he's coming off of a somewhat down season, and there's a lot of factors you can go into why he had a down season, but you don't go after the dude that you just – uh, you don't go after the dude that, and replace him with a guy who you just signed a big contract to not that long ago, who's coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, who's finally healthy, and who finally showed what his capability is for this team and for this offense. And I think it's, you just don't sacrifice any of that for something that would honestly be just as unknown as Garoppolo was when he came in. And I know Garoppolo obviously hasn't played as much as Brady in, during that time, but you don't know how Brady's going to be behind this offensive line. You don't know how Brady's going to be in this offense or with his receivers. And a lot of people say, oh, well, Tom Brady's Tom Brady. Yeah, well, Tom Brady's also been with Bill Belichick for, what, 16, 17 seasons? <laughs> a really long time. So you don't know how it would be in this case. And, yeah, Tom Brady's going to another great offensive play caller in Bruce Arians. But Bruce Arians isn't Bill Belichick, just like Kyle Shanahan isn't Bill Belichick per se. So you wouldn't know how it would work out. And overall, I think it would just, every aspect about going after Brady in this case for the team, just, it wouldn't work out. Zach, I would not do it at all. Yeah, you know, my my main kind of argument against it was maybe five years ago or even a couple of years ago, I I could definitely see the argument for it. But even when I asked him the question, it was kind of like, you know, why would a young ascending team uh, with a lot of promise and a, a lot of their futures ahead of them, go after an aging quarterback who, regardless of how well uh, they have played or are currently playing, 
you know, that there's going to be a very, very steep drop off that's inevitable very soon. And it just didn't seem like a viable long term solution for this team. Um, so I definitely wouldn't do it. And I don't see the argument in doing it. Um, even financial aspects aside, I don't think that it's uh, it would have been a good choice for them to make. Um, now, also, last question I have for you, Anthony. Uh, he broke down where he ranked Kyle Shanahan among other offensive coaches in the NFL. Where would you rank him? So in the podcast when I was listening, I think Grant's biggest problem with Shanahan was mostly just timing and decision-making. Like we were talking about off-airs, how his offense is really timing-based. Like, okay, Garoppolo has to go to read one, read two, read three. Well, it's like if read two opens up before read one and read three, that throws off the timing and the rhythm of the offense, and then Garoppolo may miss it, and then Garoppolo forces the pass because it's too late, and, you know, things of that nature. Well, I wouldn't necessarily knock Shanahan for that. I mean, it's entirely situational. You can't predict that read one is going to open up and then read two and then read three. If read two opens up before read one, then that's what it is. That's a part of the game. That's football. You can't predict that. You can't expect that. It's on the quarterback to be able to read the field and understand, you know, how to diagnose a play and know where to go. And yeah, read one might be read one, but Garoppolo's got to process that that first read isn't going to be open and he's got to hit read two right away. But uh, that was off air. In terms of ranking, ranking top offensive coaches, Shanahan is a top two play caller in the league, bottom line. And I mean play caller. Not like Greg Roman's great ability to call run plays or Sean Payton's ability to really work the middle of the field with Drew Brees. I'm talking just overall play call ability. And there's only two guys who are at the top of the league. Andy Reid, because he has the amazing weapons, and Kyle Shanahan, because he's an absolute genius and he can work with who he wants. I think the rest of the offensive coaches below him are just a, a tear down from these two guys. So overall, I I have to give it props to Andy Reid just because of the Super Bowl, sadly. But Shanahan's ability to work with whatever he has in front of him put, should put him at number one minus the Super Bowl loss. But he was talking about, in Shanahan's case, decision-making and timing and understanding that when you're the head coach and the offensive coach, situationally, it might be too much for you. And yeah, I think we noticed that with Shanahan We've definitely had games this season or this past season where we questioned the play call or where we questioned what the design was supposed to be and how it didn't work. And you can't really knock Shanahan because the dude is anticipating what the defense is going to be before the play is. And again, that's football. If a football player makes a good football play or if a defensive coach calls a good defensive play, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't really knock Shanahan. It's just like, you know, bad decision-making is like thinking about passing on third and one when you've been running the ball really well and you decide to pass on third and one. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I wouldn't say that Shanahan did that a lot this past season. I'm sure it came up and we were like, oh, what the F, what the F, what the F. But uh, overall, Shanahan finally had his team assembled in front of him to where it was very successful. And every decision he makes is going to be heavily scrutinized. And I don't blame him, but I wouldn't use that as a reason to knock him as a head coach. In my opinion, I think he is a top five head coach in the league. I would probably say in the number four and number five range above him would be like, obviously, Belichick, Payton, and Andy Reid, honestly. And in my opinion, that's about it. Maybe John Harbaugh. So there's a lot of things that have to go a lot of ways. And obviously, every coach have their own criticisms, if you will. But overall, Shanahan is a top coach. He's a top two offensive coach. And he definitely gets a lot more flack than he deserves. Yeah, I think we're actually right on the same page on that one. I would probably put him up at about four right now. Now, granted, had he won the Super Bowl, he definitely would be a lot higher. But, you know, unfortunately, we know he didn't. Um, I would probably put him four, probably, you know, Payton, Reed, Belichick. Shanahan and you know it, it, it it's been nice to see him and I think it gets him more credit because he's been doing it with you know lesser talented teams however it's like this 49ers team is accumulating a lot of talent in a lot of different places uh lately you know they've been adding it on offense so if he doesn't you know have some success here 
there's going to be a lot of scrutiny and kind of the pressure is going to come down on Kyle Shanahan to produce because he doesn't really have an excuse not to. Um, but that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you go ahead and leave us a review. We check them all out. Leave us a five-star one if you like the show. Um, make sure you follow Grant Cohn at Grant Cohn. You can follow me at Zach Hernan. Make sure you follow the podcast at RGS Pod. And also make sure you hit up uh, 49ersHive.com. Use code JS74 on the T-shirt. Hit the shop link in on the menu. And uh, real quick, we do have a couple of giveaways going on right now. If you follow our Instagram, we are very, very close to 1,000 followers. Once you reach 1,000 followers on there, we will be giving away a jersey. Um, and on Twitter, once we reach 7,000 followers, we will be giving away a jersey. And also, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That is new. We will be le- releasing a bunch of videos almost daily on YouTube. Um, the Grant Cone interview, if you prefer video content, that will be up on our YouTube channel as well. Search us at 49ers Hive. And also, guys, get this. Once we reach 300 subscribers on YouTube, you will somebody will get a jersey. That's a very, very attainable goal. Make sure you are one of those 300 uh, and, you know, make your chances great by, by following us on all three. Anthony, you got any final words here before we sign off? Nah, man. Great episode. I know it was short, but you guys, I really enjoyed the Grant Cohn interview. Zach did an excellent job with Grant. Grant is an excellent interviewee as well. <laughs> I know you guys heard it. He can be a quote, quote unquote, troll is what the media, or not media, is what Niners fans seem to consider him. But I'm not trying to defend per se, but I want people to understand that as a journalism major myself and hopefully a future journalist for sports writing, he asks the questions that you don't want to hear. And the thing is, is that, yeah, the questions might not be good or they they might be like obviously no's or obviously dumb questions that you may think. But he's not afraid to put those questions out there, put those opinions out there. And yeah, some people think it's clickbait. But if you actually listen to Grant Cohen and listen to him speak and how he talks, he's very genuine and very honest about what he says. And I have a lot of respect for that. He says a lot of things about the Niners that I honestly don't think I'd say quite yet. And I give him a lot of props for that because he says things that, let's face it, not too many people want to talk about especially with like Jimmy Garoppolo possibly getting replaced in a season or two or, you know, Dante Pettis having a better connection with Mullins and Garoppolo. That might not be big, but it's things like that that people don't necessarily want to face. And then it makes you ask questions about Garoppolo himself, who just took the team to the Super Bowl. And like I said, no one wants to hear that, but sometimes the question needs to be put out there. So I give a lot of respect for Grant Cohn to that. With that, Zach, I'm signing out. Follow me on Twitter. Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on all platforms and uh, take care.